This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. After an incredibly successful basketball career at the University of Maryland in 1986, Lynn Bias was poised to take the NBA by storm. He had been drafted number two overall by the Boston Celtics. The expectations were high for this young phenom, expectations that were never to be realized as news broke of Bias's untimely death just two days following the NBA draft. Bias had overdosed on cocaine. It was a tragic case of wasted potential. And when we speak of wasted potential, none in the Bible seemed to be more wasted than that of Samson. And on today's podcast, we'll examine this impossibly unusual man and how despite his truly fatal flaws, God used him mightily. We'll also consider how that might apply to our lives as well. I want to call your attention today to verses 21 and 22 of Judges 16. The Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he was forced to grind grain in the prison. But his hair began to grow back after it had been shaved. Samson is such an odd case to me. On the one hand, he started out gloriously. It was pretty supernatural from the beginning, remember? God had his hands on this young man from the start. But every turn in Samson's life seemed to be more and more incongruent with the ways and purposes of God. Here's a man whose list of bad decisions are piling up rather rapidly. He decides that he wants to marry a girl who isn't an Israelite. Now, this is a problem because they weren't supposed to intermarry with the people of the land. Both Joshua and Moses both had warned them not to do this. Still, Samson will not listen to his parents at all. I mean, the whole point of a Nazarite vow was to be set apart as holy for God and his use. Yet here Samson seems intent on marrying a woman who is anything but. I mean, a woman's dad is content to give her to someone else and tries to pawn his other daughter off on Samson. This is what happens when he goes to marry her. Now we learn that he's also in the vineyards of Timnath. Now, what does this man have to do in the vineyards? This is a complete violation of his Nazarite vow. Part of the vow from Numbers chapter 6 forbids him from being anywhere near anything that has to do with wine. Vinegar made from wine, wine, beer, grape juice, grapes, even raisins. Nothing about a vineyard was supposed to be a part of Samson's life. And yet here he is looking for the wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's the wrong time because just at that moment, he's attacked by a lion. When he miraculously defeats the lion with his unnatural bare-handed strength, 
he goes and boasts about it to the woman that he isn't supposed to be with in the first place. When he returns back to the lion, there are now bees in that carcass, and so he scoops up the honey from the bees there and begins to eat it. And he gives some of it to his parents. Now, he is not only violating the Nazarite vow, but he's also causing others to violate the vow as well. I guess misery loves company. Then, during a party, he tells the men at the party a riddle about the lion and the honey. When they go after Samson's new bride and pressure her to, tell, to have her tell him the riddle, she caves and tells him the answer. When they find out the solution, Samson's anger gets the best of him, and he ends up just killing 30 men. When he returns home, his father-in-law has then given his new wife to another man. In his anger, he ties 300 foxes' tails together and burns down their crops. So then they turn around and kill Samson's wife and father-in-law. Now, now the Jews who have been watching all of this happen, are they're all now upset with Samson because he single-handedly waged war on the Philistines. And so 3,000 of them show up to capture him and turn him over to them. In his anger, Samson breaks the bands and breaks himself free and then turns around and kills 1,000 Philistines. Then, in his frustration with God, after having killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, he demands that God give him water right now to be revived. Twenty years later, we read that Samson is now in bed with a prostitute in Gaza, and they show up to kill him. But instead of killing him, he gets up in the middle of the night and instead just walks through the wall, carrying off the city gates. Then, we read the story of Delilah, where Samson finally caves and gives up the last part of his Nazarite vow, and with it, the last vestige of strength. In the end, he's captured, his eyes are gouged out, he's made a slave, and he eventually commits suicide. And the text tells us that he killed more Philistines in his death than he did in his life. What a bizarre and challenging story. Samson's life is not a model to be emulated, but a mess to be avoided. Even though he had tremendous, incredible potential, he wasted all of it selfishly. His anger, his sexual desires, his refusal to listen, they all cost him dearly. But we have to ask ourselves, where is God in the midst of all this? And what are we to make of this renegade Rambo? Well, Samson's life is a picture of Israel. Let I me mean, think about it. Here's a man who was given the supernatural ability to accomplish a God-given task rooted in a God-sized promise. Samson's life was a microcosm of Israel's history. They had been blessed with so much potential, given the providence of God, and they absolutely would not listen to anyone. Not Moses, not Joshua, not anyone. Over and over, Moses and Joshua both warned them about chasing after gods, following after the people who would draw their hearts away from him. They never achieved what they could have because they never listened. Sounds just like Samson chasing after the women of that day. I mean, as we apply this to our own life, too often in our way of thinking and in our lives, we're the same way, aren't we? 
We're given incredible favor and grace, endowed with God's power to achieve God's purposes in the world, and yet we're too busy being enthralled by that which would defile us from the holy purposes of God than to listen to the God who longs to use us. God's going to accomplish his purposes even over Samson's dead body. And what is so incredible about the story of Samson is that amid all of his foolishness, in every stupid decision Samson makes, God is working his mysterious purposes despite Samson's mistakes. And I fear that sometimes we put God in a box and say that he only works in this person or in that way, but not in that person or in those ways. God is able to use even the foolish things of our life. See, God isn't confined to our packages. He can use donkeys if he has to. He's not bound by our rules. He can take impossible men and do impossible things through them. Even though the Jews couldn't see it, God was working through this train wreck of a man. He accomplishes his purposes in his time and in his divine means. And we can't put up rails on God's working in this world. And we need to train ourselves to see God where he is actually working, not be frustrated when he doesn't work within the confines of our own understanding. The work God would do through Samson was a work of God, a supernatural work that was beyond understanding. This is precisely what the angel told Samson's parents, remember? This is why he wouldn't tell them his name. They wouldn't have understood it anyway. This was a term used for supernatural work. The miracle wasn't just that God was going to deliver, but that he was going to deliver them through a hopeless tornado of a man. Without godly accountability in our lives, another truth that we need to remember is that we will end up making minor compromises that will lead to significant consequences. Samson's biggest problem is that he won't listen. I mean, it doesn't matter how much potential you have. If you don't submit to the Father's authority in your life and listen to what he says, you're going to end up like Samson. His problems began when he refused the counsel of his parents and systematically rebelled against the oath the angel had determined for him. And we will always make dumb decisions in the vacuum of independence. In a multitude of counselors, the book of Proverbs says, there is safety. Samson's life might have ended differently had he chosen to listen to the counsel that might have helped him avoid the foolish decisions that led to his captivity and eventual downfall. Finally, somewhat ironically here, we should consider this. Samson teaches us in micro what the book of Judges teaches us in macro. God will deliver his people when they put their trust in him. Up until this point, every one of their deliverers had been in some way imperfect. I mean, Samson, Deborah, she's a woman leading men into battle. Ehud, he's left-handed. Gideon, he's fearful and afraid. Though they're inadequate, the God who delivers them is perfect. One day, God will send a judge for his people who will perfectly and completely rescue them and us. And it is remarkable to consider how much even Samson's life foretells of the life of Jesus. Here's a man 
whose birth was foretold by an angel to a woman who could not have children. He's a Nazarene who can do supernatural acts of power. He is betrayed for silver and by someone close to him with a kiss. Then he's arrested, mocked, and eventually gains a more significant victory through his death than he did in his life. Does that sound familiar? You see, even Samson, as hopefully, hopelessly broken as he was, foretold of Jesus and his perfect deliverance of God's chosen people. So as we close today, Jesus, thank you that you sinned imperfect, broken models like Samson in the book of Judges for us. Help us to be humble and realize that we're only humanly pointing to a Savior who is so far superior to us. Keep us humble so that your strength may be realized and your glory may be seen in our lives and through our victories. Help us to walk consistently with you. Thank you that you stood, though undeservedly, in the temple courts for me. You took my mocking, my shame, my rebuke, my punishment. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and allowing me to be a small part of what you're doing in the world. Help me to keep my life in perspective and walk every day in your strength alone. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.